Hey folks, welcome to Living Truth Radio. This is Pastor Michael Lance. Glad that you're here. Hey, we're in Genesis 35 today, and we're going to look at how God blesses Jacob, but it's going to come on the heels of a chapter where there's all kinds of ugly stuff. There's abuse, there's violence, there's passivity, and yet God still blesses Jacob. You know, God blesses us despite us, and we're going to talk about that on Living Truth Radio in Genesis 35. Stay tuned. At the end of the message, we're going to have some practical uh, application thoughts, and we'll tell you how you can apply this chapter and about the goodness of God. Glad you're here. God bless you. Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. And we're going to study Genesis 35, so you might want to open there and put your finger in there. But uh, while you do that, if you would turn over to Genesis 28, we're going to kind of begin there. So Genesis 28, um, pretty easy to find. Just go 28 chapters from the, from the left, and you're there. In Genesis 28, remember that Jacob had this dream, and Pastor Michael has mentioned it several times. And in this dream, there were the angels ascending and descending up the ladder. And it was a place where Jacob first really met God. We don't really know how much he knew about God up to that time. <clears throat> we have very little information. But at that time, we know that God did an amazing thing. And if we look at Genesis 28, <clears throat> excuse me, 16 and 17, we see Jacob's declaration about what happened. So Genesis 28, 16, it says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, Bethel, the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And after Jacob made that declaration, then he made a vow in Genesis 28, starting in verse 20. He said, if God be with me and will keep me on this journey, and keep me means take care of him, will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So this was a vow that, that Jacob made after he had this experience with God. And as we've gone on and studied the chapters from that point in time, we realize that Jacob's journey was not always a smooth one, was it? You know, his zeal for God after this experience had its ups and downs. It waned a little bit here and there. There were some positives that we saw that happened in his life, but there was a lot of negatives as well. And uh, you might say it was the good, the bad, and the ugly of Jacob's life that we've read about in these last few chapters and really, I don't know anything that could be much uglier than what we saw in chapter 34 last week. 
You know, chapter 34, I don't know if you know this, but it's been got, called the godless chapter of the Bible. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, if you went back and reread the chapter, you'd see that there's nowhere in the chapter that God is even mentioned. There's nowhere in the chapter that God was consulted about anything that took place. And so it was a chapter basically where God had been left out. But now we move into chapter 35, and you're going to see that chapter 35 is a very different story. In fact, if you count the names of God that are used in this chapter, as well as the other references, you'll see that there are at least 21 references to God in this chapter. So what an amazing contrast that we see in this story compared to the previous events that we read about. And then we're also going to see that there's tremendous application in this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. There's tremendous application in here for us as well. So um, if you're in chapter 35, we're going to begin in verse 1. Let's have another word of prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to get into chapter 35 of Genesis. And God, I pray that your words will be spoken, Lord, that you'll anoint by the power of the Holy Spirit and teach us what you would have us learn. Open our ears and our hearts. And we thank you ahead of time in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 35, verse 1. It says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So we see here that God speaks to Jacob. Now the question always comes up, how did God speak to Jacob? And I've got a great answer for that. I have no clue. I don't know if he heard an audible voice. I don't know if it was just a very strong impression that was given to him. All we know is that somehow God spoke to Jacob and Jacob knew that God had spoken to him. Now, you might notice here that he reminds Jacob that they've met before. He says, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau? So he's reminding Jacob, hey, look, we've, we've talked before, buddy. We're going to talk again here. And in this first verse, God gives Jacob three very specific instructions. I want you to look closely with me. The first instruction is to go. And where is he to go? He's to go to the house of God. That's what Bethel means, house of God. So he says, Jacob, I want you to go to the house of God. And what he's telling Jacob is, I want you to go back to that place, like you said you were going to, where you first realized that I wanted to have a relationship with you, where I first spoke with you, where I began to become very personal to you. I want you to go there. And so that's the first instruction, to go. The second instruction you'll see is live there. He says, I want you to live there. Now, the, the NIV translates it settle, and the New King James and ESV use the word dwell. All three of those are great translations of this Hebrew word, yashab. It means to live there. It means to dwell. It means to settle in, in the house of God. 
In other words, you know, Jacob, I don't want you to treat this as a temporary stop, but I want this to be your home. Now, we'll see later that he's not just talking about the physical place. But I want this to be your home, so go and live. Don't make this a temporary place. Make this your home. Then the third instruction that he gives here, he says, make an altar. And making an altar at that time really just represents worship. So really what God is saying to Jacob is to go and to live and to worship me in the house of God. That's the clear instruction. Verse 2, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress. And notice what he says and has been with me wherever I have gone. That's an important statement. So we look here, and, and when I read this, I went, finally, finally, Jacob's response to God is, okay, I'm going to obey you, God. I'm not going to connive my way into anything else. I'm not going to figure out how to do it my way and just do what I want to do. He just says, okay, God, you tell me to go. I'm going to get up and go. It reminds me of Abraham, his grandfather. Look what he says here now to his family in verse 2. He says, put away the foreign gods which are among you and pur purify yourselves and change your garments you know, Jacob decides here that if he's truly going to return to the house of God, he's got to get rid of some things that have helped him stay away from the house of God. Now, this is interesting because it's obvious now that Jacob knew about these foreign gods that they had. Remember, uh, when he left Laban, he really didn't know that. Uh, his wife had taken some, the family had taken some, and he really didn't know, but it was obvious at this point in time, he knew they had them, and, and part of the reason is because what they were, were, were clued in later to what they were. Some of them were the carved images that we see uh, all the time, but others were just the earrings they had and, and other uh, things that they carried on their person. And the thing is that, that um, you know, look, these things in themselves had no power, they call them gods, but think about this. If it's a god, how do you put away your god? How do you get rid of a god? If you can get rid of a god, he's not much of a god. But he says, put away these foreign things. Uh, and, it, you know, the, the, these objects that they carried with them. And those objects had been a problem for him. You see, Jacob as I said, must have known they had these things, and for a long time he did nothing about it. Now, in essence, that was a slap in God's face. Obviously, it, even though the commandments had not uh, been given up to this point, this was a command that God had. Did he know it or not? I can't say for sure what they knew about this, but he knew that God wanted him 
and him alone, and he, and he did not want him to have any other gods. Exodus 24 and 5 says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And remember that Jacob had made a vow to come and worship God. He knew these things were wrong. He knew they shouldn't have had them. And he didn't do anything about it. And it caused a lot of problems for him. Now, the next thing he says, okay, we're going to put away these foreign gods. I'm making a statement here. We're going to do this before we return. Then he says, change your garments. Now, that's interesting. So, you know, what's he saying? Let's just put on a clean pair of underwear before we take this trip. That would be good. Then we won't be so smelly or what? I don't know. Okay. You know, it's always a good idea to change your clothes before you go on a trip. But that's really not what Jacob was talking about here. You see... This signifies a, a inside purification. This is something that happens inside. The outside is just a visual uh, of what's happening inside. What he's saying here is we need a change of heart. We need to remove uh, these garments that we have because they represent us being soiled and covered in our sin. That's what Jacob was was saying here, if you go to Jude 22 uh, and 23, Jude says this, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So that gives us a picture of how the Jewish people thought about this. Changing the garments represented taking off the, the, the old man, taking off these garments that have been soiled by sin, the outer part of us, the flesh, and then putting on the new man. And then in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, uh, Paul says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So it's this idea of we're going to put off the old man. We're going to put off the old garment soiled by sin and we're going to put the new garments on and it's a commitment then to being obedient to God and, and to keep the old garments off, to stay away from the sin which is polluting. Um, you know, there's another interesting verse in Revelation 3, 4 when Jesus was speaking to the churches in the book of Revelation of the things that were going on. He was commenting on things that were good and things that were not so good. And what he says to the people uh, in Sardis, he says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Meaning there were people there who were dedicated to living a godly, holy life. Not allowing the pollution of sin into their life. And so we can see that God is speaking clearly here and that, that Jacob is saying, look, these are things we gotta get out of our life. No more foreign gods, no more idols here. And let's get rid of this sin that we have in our life and let's put on the new man and let's take this trip and arise and, and go. So finally, Jacob is being obedient and he's not trying to figure it out how to do it his own way. 
Well, you know, if you think about this, I think the application from this is fairly obvious. You see, it's a great example of what we need to do when we find ourselves wandering, wandering away from God, when we find ourselves having been maybe willfully disobedient to God, when we've been maybe so lax in our obedience that it affects our family the way it did Jacob's family in chapter 34 that we read last week. And we get some great examples of what we should do if we find ourselves in that particular place. Number one, we need to return to that place where we first met Jesus. And I, I think about this scripture in the book of Revelation chapter 2, again, Jesus speaking to the churches. He said to the church of Ephesus that even though they had persevered, even though they were very solid in their beliefs, they didn't tolerate false teachers and false apostles in their church. He said, I have one thing against you. And he says, you have to repent from this, from where you have fallen. And what it was, he said, you've lost your first love. And even though they were steadfast in their teaching, they'd lost their first love, and Jesus rebuked them for it. He said, you need to turn. You need to repent from that. They needed to go back to their first love just the way that Jacob needed to go back to Bethel, to the house of God. Now, we're speaking more, of course, and we'll get into this, but we're speaking more than just the place. But you know, yeah, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> for me, sometimes going back to a place can bring back some memories and some things that are important to us. Have you ever gone back to visit your old childhood home? How many of you have done that? You know, maybe the home that you've grown up in. That's really hard for me because I moved 18 times before I graduated from high school. So it's hard to go back there. However, pretty much everywhere we go, we find one of them. My wife's had to take several of these journeys with me. Um, but we tend to, when we go back to a place, we begin to think of our memories. And you know, sometimes if you're wandering away from the Lord, you might just want to go back and visit that place where you first came to the Lord, where you first were really ministered to, where you first realized that God loved you and wanted to have a place in your life. That's not a, a bad thing to do at all. Maybe just to sit and think about that, that memory. But you don't always need to do it physically. You can go back there just in your mind. I've shared several times. Um, the day I got saved, I was 13 years old, so it was 150 years ago. And, and I remember it very distinctly. And I remember walking forward in the church service and saying I wanted Jesus in my life. And the way they did it back then uh, was, you know, if you got saved in the morning, you got baptized at night. They didn't mess around. And, and I can remember that experience um, just like it happened yesterday and, and ple pleading uh, or pledging, excuse me, my, my life to the Lord and confessing before men in the waters of baptism. So sometimes it's a good thing to go back to the place where, you know, we, we remember the joy that we felt when we came to the Lord, where we remembered, we remembered that our sins were forgiven at that time and we were cleansed and we began this brand new relationship with the God who created us. 
But more importantly for us, it's we need to return to our first love. We need to return to the person of Jesus. That's what we return to. The second thing we learn out of this is that we need to live there. We need to same, follow that same instruction. We need to dwell, to remain, to settle in our relationship with Christ. Now those words are great Hebrew words, but Jesus uses a different word. It's translated um, in, in the New American Standard, abide. That word abide in Greek means to stay, it's great, it's stay in place or relation to. Stay in place or relation to. And in our case, it, it's staying in relation to. Turn over to John chapter 15, if you would. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 15, starting in verse 4. And I want you to read this with me because it's a few verses and I want you not to get lost here. So, John 15, 4 through 11. Jesus said, Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that your that you may that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I didn't count them up, but there's an awful lot of abides in there, isn't there? Now think of that word. That means live, dwell, settle, stay in relation. And Jesus does a wonderful job of explaining that relation and how without that relation, we can do nothing in the sense of this, the world of the Spirit and the realm of the Spirit. So live with Him. Settle there and never, never, never leave. So the third instruction that Jacob was given that applies to us today is worship Him. It's just simply to worship him. What a great example for us. Now, in those days, part of the worship was making an altar. For us, we don't necessarily make altars like that, but that altar represented some sacrifice. It could be sacrifice of time, it, you know, in, in many different ways. It can be financial sacrifice, whatever it is. Those are all elements of worship. Worship is not just when we take that time to sing to the Lord, but that certainly is an important time, isn't it? What it really is talking about is our daily habit of spending time with Jesus, reading his word, hearing from him. We read his word to hear from him, not just to read it. 
And then we speak to him in prayer. And you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my quiet time, I can't help but just start singing. I do it quietly. But, you know, sometimes that song comes into your mind when you're in that time with him in that quiet place. And, and so, you know, yes, we can go to the house of God. And I know oftentimes we think of the house of God as this building, but this building is a building. You know why it's the house of God? You know why? Because you're here. You're here. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is dwelling in you. And so when we come together, God is here. And he meets with us. But God is here. He's with you anytime in any place. Now, so if you don't have a special place, I have a special place in my house. My wife has a different special place in our house um, for our quiet time. And, and hopefully you can find a place like that. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. You can spend time with Jesus anytime and anywhere. So Jacob's commands to his family apply to us as well. And if you've realized that, that you're wandering from God, then, you know, it's a good thing to recommit and say, I want to do some acts to show God that I'm serious about this. This is what Jacob was doing. Welcome, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz here on Living Truth Radio, and you just heard a message on Genesis chapter 35. And Pastor Michael, I have a question set before you. In the previous chapter that you had taught, it was filled with violence, and we had already a previous discussion concerning that, but one of the things, too, was that Jacob was pretty much silent and not disciplining with his sons. Now, here in chapter 35, we see a blessing from God. And how, how does that work about, you know, biblically speaking? What is it that we can take away from this as well, a believer? Yeah, Oscar, I think it's a great question. And one point of good news is that God blesses us despite us, which we all celebrate, right? Amen. But Jacob did some, some pretty dumb things. And one was his passivity with his daughter. He seems to be quiet when the two sons, Simeon and Levi, actually are angry and they're filled with grief. And then he seems to be more concerned, and you mentioned this before we came on air, Oscar, about his own reputation with yes. the people instead of what happened to his daughter. And then he gets blessed in Genesis 35, and God you know, calls his name. You won't be called Jacob, you'll be called Israel. And then there's, uh, uh, I'm going to multiply you. I'm God, God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And so we ask the question, you know, what's going on here? Well, well, a couple of thoughts. One is in this chapter, a couple of the ladies around Jacob die. Deborah uh, does die here in, uh, in the chapter, but the, the big loss is Rachel. Mm -hmm. And Rachel is giving uh, birth to Benjamin and she dies in childbirth. And, and, it's, and it's a great grief to uh, Jacob's uh, heart. And we understand why he, she was his true love from, from the beginning. And so I don't want to push this too far, Oscar, but I'd say a chapter where there is a blessing, there's also a loss. And I, I'm not going to say if God caused that loss or what happened there, but God allowed it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's not all a chapter about blessing. It's one of Jacob's greatest griefs is in Genesis 35. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the Church tab. You can follow us on Instagram, at livingtruthcorona, or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.